Hello, it's Future Flow here. Obviously, we came out of recording today's show to the news that Jonas Adeval has signed a new three-year deal at Arsenal. have to say I am absolutely shocked. A lot of listeners probably will be too. The reactions underneath the tweet announcing it are very interesting. A lot of people also a bit baffled. The timing is intriguing because obviously this, you know, this wouldn't have been just agreed this week. It's timing that could have been delayed and staggered till after the United result. But at the same time, it's a strategic play, how clubs manage announcements with managers for new deals. Steve Cooper at Forest last season under immense pressure. You think there's a sacking coming. Actually, it's an announcement about a new deal. So this also gives a bit of confidence and shows tremendous faith as much as it feels risky in the timing. But this coming out just over 24 hours before a game that could define Arsenal's entire season is truly incredible. They win tomorrow and there's a reset and there's a chance to still be in the conversation for the title race. They lose tomorrow and things become really, really sticky and with the Champions League gone, we've said it time and time again, the WSL is their main focus. And tomorrow is going to be one hell of a game. Wow. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to Counterpressed on The Ringer and Spotify. I'm in the studio with Jilly Flatty and Jesse Parker-Humphreys. It's a Thursday show ahead of a big weekend in the WSL. They're coming thick and fast, guys. No rest. No rest for the wicked. No rest for the wicked. We do ha- often have very important matchups quite early in the season. So a couple of years ago, Arsenal opened things up against Chelsea, which is like a big first game. But it does feel like we're just going straight in. Round two, here we go. Some very, very crucial games this weekend. Jilly, how was your opener? Yeah, I was at Chelsea Spurs. Heard you on the comms? Yeah, it was a bit. Um, it was a bit of a slow game. Um, I felt like Chelsea didn't really even get out of second gear. Um, to be honest, I think Spurs would have been pleased that it was only two one. Obviously, they don't really have great results against Chelsea, but yeah, I mean, it was. Uh, I thought what you'd get from a season opener. To be fair, it weren't like I weren't blown out of the waters, but job done for Chelsea. Spurs can come away with positives as well, and then they can crack on. Was it good to be back on the sky chair? Yeah, I loved it. I, I loved it. I loved being back. I felt like I've had so long, well, actually, not so long, because I've done the Chelsea, uh, Arsenal Champions League games, which weren't, obviously, that good. Um, <laughs> not my performance, <laughs> I meant that as in the results. But, no, it was just, uh, it was nice to be back in the stadium. Yeah. You know, to feel, hear the atmosphere. Um, yeah, it was nice to be back. Where are you working this weekend? I'm at Liverpool. Aston Villa on Ooh. Sunday. The so, hipster's choice, I yeah, think we're calling it. Yeah, it really is the hipster's yeah. choice. So I can enjoy Friday night indoors, in the warmth, excitement of the telly. And then, yeah, Sunday I'm up in Liverpool. Friday night under the lights. I can't wait. It's a real feet don't fail me now. Special that. You know, I realised that on the way to the Arsenal-Liverpool game, I had accidentally been playing feet don't fail me now, like on my phone oh, really quietly on repeat. <laughs> Did you do when that? my Spotify Wrapped comes out, it's going to be number one because it must have been going for like an hour. Did you do that thing where you accidentally put the repeat on, or I'd you like, just queued it over and over and over again? I'd like accidentally like turned it down on my phone, mm. 
because I was reading my book on the train, but I thought I turned it off. And then when I got my phone back out <laughs> to get off the train, I realised it had been playing all that time. Oh, that's hilarious. My friend uh, texted me the other day. I don't have AirPods, but if, this feels like a common thing with people who have AirPods. My friend texted me the other day saying that she was listening to the Freaky Friday soundtrack (laughs) and her AirPods died. And apparently when AirPods die, whatever is playing just plays plays out. And she was on the train to work (laughs) and the Freaky Friday soundtrack started blasting out. And she texted me saying she was absolutely mortifying. And I said, it could be worse. Like, it could be worse. It could be so much worse than the Freaky Friday soundtrack. Um, but anyway, we've got a lot to talk about today because we've got those massive games this weekend. We've got Manchester United against Arsenal on the Friday night under the lights. And then, it's a big one in Manchester, we've got Manchester City, Chelsea on the Sunday. We're also going to get into some mailbag questions that you guys sent over. We've got a few non-football ones as well, a few WSL ones, a few more kind of European end of missiles. So um, we're going to get into some of those. So let's get cracking after this. We spoke on Monday about how important this game was going to be for Arsenal after that defeat against Liverpool. No rest going straight back into it on Friday against Manchester United. And Jesse, we spoke specifically about like these three games that Arsenal have because they lose that what looked like a, a nice way to maybe move into the season against Liverpool. They've got Manchester United and then Villa around the corner. We feel like maybe three is the magic number for Jonas Adevel to really sort of turn things around. But it's a big one on Friday. Yeah, it is. And I guess for Arsenal, there's that added pressure that United beat them home and away last year and both games had kind of their own stresses and drama. Obviously, the Emirates game, there's sort of the late winner, the game at Lee Sports Village, obviously, where Leah Williamson does at ACL. So that was kind of put a sour note on the whole thing up there as well. It's tough because I just think in terms of how much it feels like Arsenal need to improve, not just taking the Liverpool game into account but also taking those games against Lintropping and Paris FC into account there's something about it being on Friday which makes it feel like even you know less time it's quite hard to imagine a significantly different performance but at the same time I do think Arsenal have shown that in moments of adversity and last season that was a lot focused on injuries um, but also on results at different points as well obviously they had to really sort of battle to get that third spot they had to battle in the Champions League as well that they have been able to find something else and I didn't think United looked amazing against Villa although arguably Villa are a better team you know a team you'd you'd maybe expect to give all of that uh, top four game now at this point but it's going to be an interesting one thing is if I think we're so early in the season that if Arsenal do win, you suddenly get this like little bit of breathing room, I think, because everyone goes, oh, they just lost their first game of the season. That's what Chelsea do every... Well, yeah, they- now they've won this game, which was actually harder. Everyone's pointed to what's happened to Chelsea <laughs> over and over again for a while. But this feels very different, I think, for Arsenal compared to Chelsea because there are so many setbacks that still await them. They've still missing a few players and the performance was so poor and disappointing against Liverpool and and obviously Manchester United finished runners up in the league they were top of the league for the majority of the season and 
you know, they are a different and a transformed team now. But also I think that sort of galvanised mentality that Jonas Eideval brought to Arsenal many times when their backs were against the wall, I think. Mark Skinner's sort of trying to channel that with Manchester United with all these late goals that they've managed to get last season and obviously starting with a bang again in, in this campaign where it's obviously riding your luck a tad. You're relying on a, a, a few favours late on, I think. I think it's you know a risky way to play because you're not always going to reap the benefits from hoping that you might get something late on. But it's certainly become a bit of their trademark is getting these late goals and in the build-up to this game, Mark Skinner's been talking a lot about that and the belief in the team and everything. And although against Villa it wasn't the best performance, it's like having that counts for so much, especially when you're coming into a game against Arsenal. Yeah, and I also think, I mean, obviously United scored late against Villa, but maybe it's just me being the defender that I was, is that for me, if Anna Patton defends Rachel Williams, how she should defend Rachel Williams, that goal shouldn't have if it happened and she still managed to win the header then obviously brilliant but Jilly's defending corner is back this for is season two I, do you know both goals goal? were like that as well both goals were like Villa kind of it was frustrating because Villa had defended quite well throughout the game and then those two moments after the obviously Hansen sending off just yeah. kind of I mean it is difficult rattles them a like, bit. as the game goes on you do naturally get tired but I think just listening to different things, people or whatever, they've analysed the games. Like, not one person I've heard has mentioned the defending side of it. So for me, if, if you look at the goal, Anna Patton literally walks the opposite way to Rachel Williams. She stays with her, which she has her in the first place. Rachel Williams don't have all the time in the world to win that header. But you can't fault United for keep trying and putting the ball in the box. I think going Arsenal going into that Liverpool game, Arsenal would have thought, we're at home, we've got a huge crowd. We know how we can perform at the Emirates. Obviously, they've done it against the likes of Wolfsburg. I think they would have thought, we'll win that one. And then if you do go to United and you nick a draw, for example, of course, they want to win. But I think looking at if they went to United and got a draw, you'd be probably thinking, well, that's fair enough in the sense of the start of the season. And obviously, they are still missing players, et cetera, et cetera. But I do think, yeah, them losing to Liverpool... It puts huge pressure on them on Friday night, especially after the Champions League games as well. Because then everyone's like, well, their full focus now is the league. And I think that result, first game of season, is just like rocked a lot of people. And the narrative of the dynamic couldn't be more different because although United lost key players over the summer, the recruitment's been decent. I think Jay-Z looked good in that opening game and obviously Gabby George first we've seen of her for United so it's kind of like the narrative shift is after last season United feel that belief where they can take on anything. There is no fear now and and the position that each team sees itself in the league couldn't be more different because Arsenal are sort of wounded again. United will feel confident like we're at home, got a good record at LSV Um and, fun fact, only Tony Duggan and Ellen White have scored more goals against Arsenal than Rachel Williams. So, wow, looking like her could be on the cards of Rachel Williams. For Everton away, Arsenal. Special. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it just, it, it feels like to me that there is so much added pressure on this Arsenal team. But it's like, how do you turn that actually into a good performance? Because I think even in those moments last year where they were relying on just belief and kind of like teamwork and and that um that motivation to get them through like there was still 
decent performances. And I think, especially in the final third, I think they were a better team and looked better than they did on the weekend. So it's whether that is enough um, to have that and to lean on that, to then actually put in a good performance. Because like that's the most disappointing thing I think about Liverpool. It's like, where are the where are the patterns of play? Where is where is the blueprint for how you want to score a goal? If it's just going to be endless crosses into the box and relying on set pieces and corners, like you've got to bring more than that. Jesse, we've seen Arsenal have to play with this three at the back. If Noel Merritt is fit and ready to come back, do you think they'll shift to a four? The three at the back, look, Chloe Cassis is like right wing back thing, obviously not working, didn't work. How much could that change how they could play? I don't think the back three thing works, um, or at least where it is right now works. I think to that extent, going back to a four would make sense. Um, I think it would allow a player like Lacasse, for example, to be higher up the pitch, to be able to like engage the opposite fullback in sort of 1v1s. I felt like it was just too easy for Liverpool to really sort of defend in a block with Arsenal effectively matching them up. But I do think when, you know, we're talking about how Arsenal attack, it's easy to sort of forget that they're actually playing with almost an entirely new front three. Like, I think because we're familiar with Alessia Russo, you see her in the Arsenal team and you're just like, yeah, she plays for Arsenal now. But like, she's forming a relationship with all of the players around her, equally Chloe Lacasse. And to that extent, maybe I'm like, oh, is it harsh to be like, Arsenal looks so bad? And I don't think it is because I do think there's been time to be better than what we've seen. But I also think it would be silly to sort of write off that attacking block without like giving them more time to build relationships together. But I think also it just feels like at the moment there's not a level of trust throughout the Arsenal team. I don't really feel like the defence is trusted like by the rest of the team. And I think as a result, it feels like there's a level of freedom that's being lost. It feels like almost everyone's trying to play within themselves that's what I think is maybe making it feel quite slow because it's. I just think it's this sense of like feeling like they can't impose their game on the opposition. I think that was something against Liverpool which just felt really strange to watch of like there wasn't there wasn't able to be this like consistent level of pressure and it's so like the antithesis of what we've heard Idaval say how he wants to play, you know, this sort of like intense physical football and last season we saw that but we saw them not finish chances at least do you know what I mean like think about the Chelsea game at home the West Ham game it's like I think we saw moments where they did impose themselves and create loads of chances and then miss really big chances and you can kind of say like oh well at least they're creating stuff I think the Liverpool game and to an extent those Champions League games were more disappointed because you're like where is the creation do you know what I mean yeah and then I guess maybe that's also a question about the midfield and how they want to play, how they want to get the ball into what areas they want to get the ball to to their front three, whichever sort of way it hangs out. I do kind of wonder if Frieda Marnham in as the 10 is something that maybe feels like it needs to be freshened up a little bit. Like I wonder if, for example, a pullover coming into there just might offer something a bit 
different. The ability to for her maybe to sit a bit more and allow Kim Little to move forward and just create a bit more variety, be a bit more of a creative presence because sometimes I feel like Marnham's just there to be a bit of a like battering ram to sit on the edge of the area and I don't know if that actually helps Arsenal recycle the ball and I feel like lots of the stuff that really made Marnham burst onto the scene hasn't necessarily been like replicable game after game like she's like got some fantastic finishes in her clearly but it can end up being just like pot shots (laughs) is that serving your whole attacking structure and maybe it will long term but I just feel like right now that potentially looks like an area where Arsenal do have players who could come in and freshen up even if I mean I don't know if they want to risk this she's not been in very long but even if you wanted to maybe push Kim into the tent and play Kyra Cooney cross alongside Leah Volte I just feel like that's actually an area whereby Arsenal have quite a lot of players who feel currently underused yeah and Alessia Russo just looks so isolated they were asking so much of her and when the touch isn't sticking, it just becomes worse and worse and you're sort of like chasing the game. And I think if she had someone that she could play off and play with, um, more like, you know, what she had at United with Ella Toon, whereas everyone just seems like there isn't that link-up play yet that she probably needs. And it's not a style of play in which on Sunday, but it might be different on Friday, they're they're not asking her to really like run beyond. It's very like, we're going to stick it at you and you're going to be a bit of a target. And I think whenever they play with Baxtenius, they obviously, you know, want her to run in behind and that's what she excels at. But I think Russo can do that too. Um, it's just about creating that, those opportunities and creating that movement and playing in that way. And that's not the, the game plan that they had on Sunday. But I do think you could actually switch it and cause a lot of problems. Uh, on Manchester United though, um, maybe we didn't sort of give them enough credit on Monday's show, but losing Alessio Russo, Losing on a budget, two key players for them. Jilly, how kind of impressed with you on just like adapting? Obviously, we know the late goals. Like it's it's a very unique position to be in, and you can't always replicate that. But like, were you actually quite impressed on how good they did look? Yeah, I mean, I think it's obviously them two players. They're huge for what Man United achieved last year, and it's now they obviously. Batia gave him a lot of goals, uh, assist down the right-hand side, you know. So now they've got to either have someone there who can... I don't think they'll be able to ever replicate what she's done, but it's sort of do you carry on playing that same DNA and try and coach people to get to the level of her or do you now play different style to suit different people? Obviously, Garcia played in like the nine role, which I don't know, not not that I didn't really like her there. I just think... She was a bit part player last year, obviously with Russo and tuning now. I just think sometimes I was looking for her to do the same things that Russo was doing and it's a completely different type of player. It's going to be difficult for United because they have lost two of their main starters, but it's just about that adaptability and it's just other players being given a chance now to step up. But I think I noticed a little bit with United, though, like watching the game, there was a lot of frustration, I felt, of for example, like Toon, who, I mean, I, I think she gets frustrated a lot in games anyways, but there was a lot of arms being thrown in the air, a lot of walking, a lot of that body language, which I clocked just watching the game. And I do think, again, it's that relationship builder where, like for me, when I watched Arsenal in the Champions League, when Blackstinius come on, 
I felt that looked so much better because of the whole she was coming in, her relationships that she'd built up already last season was just there. So the connections were happening, the way Arsenal played, I felt was better. And it'll be the same for Man United because now Toon's going to be linking up with someone who plays completely different to Russo. So now you've got to try and adapt your game to suit how that forward player plays. But yeah, I mean, I think for them, it was just key that they got off to a winning start and obviously with the three points on the board. Let's talk about the other big game in Manchester, Jesse, because I know you're a bit nervous about it. Manchester City, Chelsea. Initial nerve vibe check. I mean, I think we're so early in the season, I'm not really as nervous as... Do you feel like it's actually a nice one to get out of the way? Yeah, I definitely think going and playing at the Academy Stadium is like one of Chelsea's worst away trips (laughs) other than going to Crawley, which actually probably is the worst one. Um, But like obviously over the years, Chelsea have really, really struggled at that ground. So I think having it now makes it feel like it's kind of a free hit. I do think it's kind of interesting psychologically that the United-Arsenal game... He's on the Friday and I'm sure if you asked Gareth Taylor and Emma Hayes, they would say like, oh no, we're not paying attention to it at all. But I do wonder if Arsenal lose that, whether it will just give City and Chelsea this feeling like, oh, maybe we've already got this breathing room in terms of looking at a top four potentially already being a top three and seeing Arsenal having dropped six points already. Um And so I do wonder if both teams will kind of be just keen not to lose. But I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, last year it was chaos. So, And I feel like both both of these games is going to be an element of that. And that's why I'm like, oh, they'll probably both end in draws because both teams, all four teams will be so desperate at this point in head-to-head. Although I think if you're United, you think this is a great opportunity to get the win. I think if you're United, you say you go for it. Even if it risks, you know, potentially leaving the door open. That's what I'd do if I managed United, but I don't know. Well, also, Marskin is probably looking at saying, we hold our nerve, which at points against Chelsea, they've struggled to see it out. Like they've managed the game very well for maybe like an hour and then it all collapses. But he probably thinks we hold our nerve and then we go ourselves like 10 minutes just to go at them. That's probably like the Skinner blueprint, if you like. Going back to City-Chelsea... We spoke, Jesse, in the week about City's win over West Ham. I'm really enjoying the vibe. Um, It was against West Ham. There is a West Ham element to this. We have to really put a little asterisk over it and say, is West Ham who, Jesse, you put as favourites for relegation? Yes. And I don't think anyone's feeling that great about them in general, you know, whether they get relegated or not. So there is that factor. uh, But you can't deny that, you know, Their squad is absolutely stacked, which we've known. But when you see it, when you see the depth they've got, it's like, you know, it's amazing. And where I think Gareth Taylor's been a bit too one-dimensional in the past, there was a fluidity to how they played. Part of that was because they didn't have Bunny Shaw. So they, you know, wanted to play a little bit differently. We saw Lauren Hemp play more centrally. um, And I think that's always really interesting uh, we saw Mary Fowler who's going to be obviously a key part uh, for them this season and I just really liked yeah the fluidity in the attack and what you know I think they have been guilty of being way too predictable and also um, missing a lot of chances and I think adding something a little bit different uh, to the way that they attack 
and bringing hemp in more centrally, I think is a great thing. And I'm excited to see what they do against Chelsea because it gives them something to work with. It gives them something to bring in huge games where it's not like, oh, we know exactly how they're going to set up. We know exactly how they're going to play. Bunny Shaw could be available again because Gareth Taylor said it wasn't like a serious injury. But then you've got that, you know, you've got that question mark for Emma Hayes. Like, how is she going to prepare for this game? Is she going to prepare, you know, thinking that she's going to face Bunny Shaw and, you know, they're going to probably have Hemp and Kelly out wide? Or is she going to think Mary Fowler and Hemp and that relationship and how it builds? So, yeah, just I'm feeling good about Manchester City, but I don't know if I'm just getting high on my own supply or... I think the thing that I thought watching the West Ham game was that if City are going to play like that, there is so much space for Chelsea players to run into. They inverted both fullbacks. Layla Wahabi then got a red card, so I don't know if they'd do that against Chelsea anyway, but I don't think they will be able to without having Layla available. I think if they're going to have to play Esme Morgan or Kirsten Kasparai, that feels like unlikely. And there's actually, haven't seen an update on the appeal because obviously we saw about Kirsty Hansen, the appeal was understandably denied. <laughs> I don't know why, they, don't know why they did that. <laughs> but, Wahabi, we presume they have appealed it, but we haven't seen an update. But, I mean, surely she... Anyway, we'll wait and see. But Yeah, but I think regardless, even if Layla was available, it would feel brave to invert both fullbacks because it just felt like it's easy to leave Alana Kennedy and Alex Greenwood to defend against Vivian Asai and Rico Ueki. I'd be worried for them if they were leaving them to defend against. Sam Kerr and Lauren James, for example. Obviously, maybe Kerr won't play. Maybe Fisher will play. It's kind of like a funny matching thing with the the bunny situation in terms of not, you know, both star strikers probably not starting, you'd think. But I guess we'll wait and see. But yeah, I think City look good. I think they've, I do think they're like, they obviously like evolved a bit more. I think Jill Rod offers them something different in the midfield in terms of you know being someone who it feels like really can genuinely join that front line of attack I think they wanted Dana Castellanos to be that player and it's just not quite worked out in the way they envisaged and I think Rod's shown that she can be better at that even though I do think she's also quite a patchy player but I think it's going to really like be a lot about the sort of 1v1 matchups that we see across the pitch I think Hayes will feel like obviously last time out City just really overran Chelsea, I think, really on a sort of 1v1 level. And I think obviously, you know, that game coming in between the Lyon games, that had a big impact on sort of where the Chelsea players' heads were at, how tired they were, how much the match mattered to them versus how much it mattered to City. It'll be interesting to see what that looks like against a fresher, more up for a Chelsea team. Yeah, and I think last season City's fullback situation was a bit of a of weakness especially on that right hand side and those are probably the matches where physically you would expect Chelsea to really dominate depending who plays in those wide positions but I think that's somewhere that they can probably exploit. Jilly you were at Stamford Bridge obviously we are so used to seeing Chelsea be so exceptional when it comes to like playing in and around the penalty area in the final third. The relationships that have been built between Lauren James, me official, official and other players in such a short space of time is very impressive. But they just, the patterns of play are just always there. 
Like there is an understanding of how Chelsea want to play and what they want to do. And they have that added dynamic of Lauren James being also able to score from range. So it's not even like, you know, and you're right. And it's not even like they need to rely on, you know, those one touch movements that they had against Spurs, but they've got that added threat. And that's what I think no one else has in this league. And that's why Chelsea just stand out when it comes to title winning predictions or, you know, just winning trophies. Like, that is just such a USP that is so hard to replicate. Yeah, and I think obviously talking about my experience of being at Chelsea, like we watch games, you know, that's what we ultimately judge the teams on is their games. But for me, it's interesting to think, what do teams do in training? Because being in part of Chelsea, there was a lot of work that went on with in your units, you know, and there was obviously defenders would go together and we'd work as defensive unit and the forwards would go together and they would do stuff. But then the forwards would come up against the defenders. Everyone obviously rotates and stuff. But for example... Who was the worst one in training of the forwards? Like you were like, I do not want to face her. She's just a pain in the ass. Well, I had like Fran Kirby in like her early days where she was very... I mean, she's just very good anyway. But I mean, I had her and then I had Backman as well. You're like, so can you stop like, running, please? Any danger. Um, <laughs> but it was good because the starting defenders at such would play against the starting forwards. So it's not like as in uh, get match day minus one or whatever. You do your starting 11 versus the subs. Like... I was on that the subs team quite a lot as well towards the end of my my time at Chelsea. But disrespectful, how dare they? I know, fuming. That's another podcast. Um, but I it, mean, we did speak about it on your, but this is on no your one. One. This is secret one. Got to do take two on that in the bloopers. But the training side of it, like, I don't know what teams do. Do the forwards go work away and, and train against mannequins, for example? And do the defenders do non-pressurised? So a lot of it crosses coming in and they're dealing with it on their own. Like, it has to be game-like. And I think that's the best thing with Chelsea, just being there, was that it was, a lot of it was match day-like. You know, game experience, it felt like that. And it was, everyone rotated. So it weren't just always... Sam Kerr and Lauren James would be partners. It would be, you got Aaron Cuthbert in there, you got Guru Wright and Floating in there, you got everybody who could play would link up with everybody. So that's where the understandings were built. So sometimes it'd be interesting to see what do other teams do in regards to that training? Is it a lot of, you know, just 11 v 11 or is it a lot against mannequins or is it real life? Um, but obviously that's just talking about my experience. Chelsea was a lot of it was free-flowing and everybody knew everybody else's role and you'd get questioned on it. You couldn't like hide, you'd get questioned on it. So you had to know each other's roles. We've had some team photo action this week. Some controversial sock placement, shall we say, <laughs> in the Chelsea team. But I want to know, Jilly, about your team photo experiences through the years. Does everyone get excited? Is everyone dreading those team photos? What's it like when you know that day is coming? Is it like school photo? Everyone's sort of like in the bathroom doing their makeup, freaking out? Or is it very chill? No, it is like that. Everyone's in the bathroom. Sometimes you'd get it gets sprung on you on the day. Sometimes you would why have would a they couple do, of days. Why would they do it as a surprise? Oh, I don't know. Stitch. I'd do it as a surprise day if I was a manager. <laughs> I'd say after straight after the session, mate, training session, get your kit on. No time to shower. <laughs> no. Just. I used to obviously be no makeup, sort of. I don't care, sort of. Yeah. About the appearance side. I mean, I'd look smart. Um, yeah. But yeah, there would be some players who, when it was scheduled, go and get your hair done, get it booked in, blow dry the lot. <laughs> Not me, obviously. It's just so funny because, like, from a fan perspective, you don't really ever look at those photos ever again. No. no. 
No. Like back in the day when I was younger, I used to like to get like the QPR team photo and like sometimes like a poster of it stick it on the wall or like I get a calendar. But in reality, in this day and age, no one really does that. No one would get like, can you even buy it anymore? I don't know. Oh, I'm sure if you go outside Stamford Bridge, they'll be flogging that in a frame. <laughs> but you had some good haircuts as well in those team photos. Oh. It's like a real side fringe situation going oh, down. Oh, the plait was there. I had the pre-wrap. <laughs> I had the curls. Because you're downplaying it. You're downplaying it like you didn't care <laughs> no, about your hair, but you definitely did. I washed did. my hair before. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I was always more interested in like, as the years went on, I got further away from the the main the hot seats, which were either sides of the manager. That was your hot seats. Then if you didn't get the front row, you went back, you're like, come on, mate. Then I was on the end, like the, my last one, I was literally next to the kitman. <laughs> last one, you've only got half of Julie's face because yeah. she's out of shot. She's on the way out. Uh, would people get bitchy as well if they're like, oh, did you see who's on the front row next to no, forever. not you'd have a look because obviously at Chelsea's one, I see that there was actual name tags mm. on the like, oh, yeah. stickers on the back. That's so you sitting. would be a bit like. And Chelsea also have a whole new leadership team, presumably within yeah. the squad. Yeah, so that's yeah. why it was kind of interesting. So you would, you. I mean, I was very fortunate. Chelsea, I was vice captain, so I had the seat next to Emma. But yeah, the was, hot seat. As my Teachers time went on at Chelsea, <laughs> I was back row, <laughs> further and further and further away. Right, let's get into some listener questions next. Well, we've got tons of questions ranging from some serious ones to get stuck into to some more silly ones. So, I'm going to start with. Himmy Butler, friend of the show, big fan. Obviously, it's super early, but who do you all think might be the most impactful signing of the season? We're one game in, guys. <laughs> um, I'm going to go with someone that surprised me in her first game. Obviously, we'll wait and see about impact. But I was really impressed with me official. And I think pre-season, it was hard to judge think her fitness and I think she looked a little bit leggy in that Roma game but I think the fact that she's built those relationships so quickly she's already up and running and scored a goal um I can kind of see exactly what you know Emma Hayes was thinking by bringing her in and adding her to the squad so we'll have to wait and see you know what sort of part she gets to play because if Sam Kerr's gonna be fit and play but I think that's almost maybe why she has like such a good shout and being the most impactful signing because I feel like Fischl's impact on Chelsea is not just how good she can be, but it's that it allows Chelsea to rest Kerr. And, and creates a bit of competition as well, creates which is competition, always But then you've got this like opportunity whereby your backup for Kerr can come in and do a job and that allows Kerr then to be fresh for the biggest game. So it's like you kind of create two players from the one player. And do you remember last season where it was like, if Sam Kerr gets injured, Chelsea... We're playing kind of will, be, will be fucked because no harder. <laughs> Obviously, Kirby was in and out as well. So it's like, God, we're really limited on options here. So and Eve Charles literally just... forgot that she had to play as a nine <laughs> when we asked her about it. She was like, how do you remember that? I was like, I watched a lot of Chelsea. <laughs> uh, do you want to pick anyone else, Jessie? Are you saying... I will go. Hipster choice, here we go. Hipster choice. And say Jenna Clark oh. at Liverpool. <laughs> I watched United-Liverpool in pre-season. And I was really impressed with her then, but I thought it's just pre-season. I thought she had a really good game against Arsenal. She's hella tall. and I love the tall gals. Justine Van Haven met. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just feel like 
obviously that Liverpool defence looked really solid. It's just one game, but I just feel like everything I've seen from her so far, she looks really good. So. And actually, a good shout out Grace Fisk again because great performance. Yeah, on well, Sunday. I, thought, I can't say two Liverpool defenders, so I'm hey, picking you can throw out if you want. All right, yeah. Come on, we obviously we Grace love Fisk Matt Beard. Jilly, impact signing. Who you got? I'm gonna go with Van Domsela at. Aston Villa. Yeah, very good choice. Because, I mean, I liked her when I see her in the internationals and I liked her in the World Cup too. But I just think for them to get a player like her on a free transfer as well, that's a good bit of business done by Villa. Um, And I think Hampton, well, she's very good with her feet, but I do think she made a few mistakes last year that cost Villa points. So it'll be interesting now to see with a goalkeeper like her, if she can get Villa a few more points, which could help them in their fight to break into the the top four. I always remember that Villa-Arsenal game that we watched watched on the car on the way back from from the Manchester derby and it was snowing and Jesse, I was driving, Jesse was just updating me on the mistakes Hannah Hampton was making. Oh my God, she was awful in that game. Uh, That leads me nicely onto a question from Jack F1 CFC. Where does Zinsberger rank in terms of WSL goalkeepers right now? It's been the topic of the week. Obviously, Farrah Williams getting into it on her podcast about Arsenal not getting a goalie in over the summer and the fact that obviously Villa got Van Domsalar. Zinsberger's preseason was not good. And you can tell you've spoken about that sort of unsettled defence and that definitely plays a part. She nearly had a, like a big mistake against Liverpool. Where I think it was a corner free kick and she kind of like, you know, bubbled it a bit in her hands. Where do you actually think across the league she's ranking right now? Is it pretty near the bottom? Is she still no, is she no. still a sort of like top four or top five? <laughs> the goalkeepers, I think, in the league who are better than Zinsberger would be Van Domslaar, Mary Earps, AKB. I think I put Musevich ahead of her say, as well. I was about to say, that was the, that was the one. They have similar her. vibes though. But I think Musevich is still better right now, even though she just... Tried to save the ball with her feet against Martha Thomas. Rachel um, Laws, she had, a, no, she had a good game. No, I don't think so. <laughs> so what does that put her like? Fifth, fourth, or fifth? Mackenzie Arnold, come on, Mackenzie Arnold's got to be above Zinsberger. Mm, yeah, I maybe put Mackenzie Arnold. Ellie Roebuck, um, the jury's out for me. Well, on Roebuck also as well, it's... I think she's in a similar corridor of uncertainty. I think she's in a bit of a funk right now. Zinsberger. She didn't, she didn't start getting West Ham, and that's a bit of a who knows what's going on. But yeah, I'd say she's like mid table. She'd suit, I think, mid-table team. She'd be a good goalkeeper yeah. for a mid-table team. Yeah. So that's like, what, fifth? Fifth or sixth, yeah. yeah. Mid-table. Jilly, one for you, because you had in predictions Liverpool getting to FA Cup final, didn't you? Yeah, they are. Especially after beating Arsenal. <laughs> First day of the season. Uh, it's all to Jenna play Clark for. lifting the <laughs> FA Cup, can't we? Uh, Women's Football Thoughts has asked, Jilly, who are Liverpool going to beat in the FA Cup final? Repeat of Sunday, maybe, she said. Mm, yeah, maybe Arsenal. Oh, I don't know. I would like it to be like a London-based team because I think if it's at Wembley, London-based team would bring a lot of fans. Not that I don't think, say, for example, I mean, Liverpool would probably think in Everton in the FA Cup final, beat them there because it's oh, like be Everton. Fun. Be I think really I'd like a lot of fans to come out for it. Mm. But I think what from, about United? Like that oh, historic yeah, rivalry maybe. from the men's game. Yeah. Both got like quite and there's dedicated been a bit fans. Of heated pre-season games with United mm. and during the season, they, when I was there especially, we had a little bit of a ruckus with United. So, yeah, maybe United, I say, 
but I'd like everybody to fill it. So full packed Wembley and then Liverpool beat United. You might as well get your tickets now because it's probably going to happen, isn't yeah, it? Happy so. days. This is a good one as well I want to ask Julie about. So uh, Andrea Fanton's Stan account has asked, the end of a cell has been fun to watch, but they have VAR and still have some issues with decisions. What do you think about the players slash managers discussing them on Twitter? Does it really help? The end of a cell is obsessed with fining players and managers for commenting I'm on everything. Obsessed with fining Casey, Casey Stoney, Stoney and in particular. In particular, um, she has single-handedly added to that pot, but a few other players and, and managers have also um, fallen foul to it. Jilly, what do you think? Because I know you love, you've got that freedom now to talk about refs. Obviously, in England, we do have like similar protocols, but I think they are a bit more relaxed. Like, Ender Bissell are very strict on this. Um, you're like, some of the stuff Casey Stoney's been fined for is not even that bad, and it's quite vague. Um... I personally am here for it because I think, you know, the players should have an opportunity to voice their concerns and their frustrations. Obviously, you have to, like, support and help the refs. But where do you sit on tweeting your disappointment about officiating? My first point would be, if I was still playing... I'd want to know first and foremost, do I pay the fine or does the club pay the fine? <laughs> if I paid the fine, then I'm against it. <laughs> I couldn't afford it. Um, but no, it's not anything, right? It's like if you have a bad experience with a company, for example, and you contact them several times or you say how you feel to them, they, they brush you off, right? The moment you tweet about it, they're in your inbox saying, listen, I'll sort you out a deal. I'm just talking about like Virgin, How for often example. do you do it? Tell me how often you do right, it. Virgin Media, right? <laughs> My mum tried to get hold of them and they weren't having it. I tweeted Virgin Media and within 30 minutes, my mum had got a better deal. Right? <laughs> so, there's nothing more jilly fuzzy than that. So if you're negotiating your telecontract or your Wi-Fi... <laughs> Give Just Jilly come to me. So you think we could also do that with refereeing? So no, we go at FA, at Ender Bissell, sort your refs out, and then you get a DM from the league saying, but, oh, sorry, Jilly, don't worry, we're on it. The thing is, right, they don't like it when you say how you feel on, mm. on social media, yeah, especially for players. So I was very calculated about it because I'd always go in my tweet first. I don't want to get a ban, so I'm not going to mention what I want to really say. People then know what I really actually genuinely want to say. I want to, I want to say stuff about the ref. So I think there should be a line because players can't go all out slaughtering referees and then what about if they get abused and, do you know what I mean, targeted and stuff. But I do think people should be able to say their frustrations. Players should be able to say, be frustrated at a decision. But then I just think later on in my career, I was just like, I can't be bothered with it because really it should be the managers should be voicing. They, they're protecting players, isn't it? So really we'd voice it and then as a club, or as a manager, they should be able to definitely speak on behalf of their team and say it's not good enough. I think in England, it always comes down to like bringing someone's professionalism into the conversation and saying that there was like bias or something. That's where they get really yeah, that's frustrated. That's no. different. Whereas Cozy Stoney's just come out and said like, I can't believe that's being given against us. And they're like, 20 grand. <laughs> Here you go. And it's like, oh my God, you can't say anything. Um, another question as well from Andrea. Which NWSL team would you have a karaoke night with? I think mine would probably be Gotham, I think. Oh. In New York. Mine would be OL Rain. 
Oh, oh, with with Megan Rapino, with Megan Rapino and Jess and Jess Fleischer. That's a good combo. Just about actually. still Megan Rapino. Yeah. That's, that's a good shout. I think I just want to like go hang out in New York with like all the girlies, like Midge, Christy, have a nice dinner. It's bougie. It's my vibe, you know. Yeah, that's fair. That yours that would be more like fit. Seattle. Let's gay have a coffee. Chaos. Yeah, gay chaos. I reckon halves would be Bants as well. Yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll yeah. go them as well because I think all right, me yeah. and Joe will go together. <laughs> I love people's Twitter handles. Nemanja Unproblematic has asked, this is a question very much for Jesse. what do you think Chelsea's best 11 is with everyone fit? And they've said, it's the Champions League final tomorrow, who are you picking? Ooh. I've been pondering this. You've I had went time. on a run yesterday and I thought about it on my run. All the best <laughs> ideas happen when you're on a run. Of I course. Um, so I think what I've landed on is AKB in goal, Ashley Lawrence left back, Carter and Millie Bright centre back together. Eve Perisay on the right. Aaron Cuthbert and Shukanuskan in a double pivot. Ooh, into it. Katarina Macario as the ten. Guru Wrighton on the left. Frank Hervey on the right. Ooh, and Sam Kerr up front. Frank Hervey so on the my right. My notable omission is Lauren James. But <sighs> explain. Julie's <sighs> <laughs> like, show your notes. Come on, why dropping her? I just feel like. Right now, I've still not seen enough Lauren James big game changing moments. And I've watched Frank Kirby change so many games on her own. And it basically came down between picking Kirby and James. And because the question allowed me to have a fully fit Frank Kirby, I just, I could never not pick her. And this is a Champions League final, do you know what I mean? Yes, yeah. you, you, you're going yeah. all guns blazing for it. Yeah, going all out. Dietrich or Treat, nice Halloween, has asked, it's nearly midnight. Oh. You're at a wedding. <laughs> really picture, picture the scene, Jilly. Close your eyes. It's nearly midnight. You're at a wedding and a dance circle forms. You find yourself in the centre of the circle. What one dance move are you going to do to bring the house down? Can you do the worm, Jilly? No. <laughs> I can't do the worm. I can't, uh, yeah, I can't do really. Robot? Robot, potentially. I Macarena? I do the chicken leg. Oh, oh yeah, you okay. kind of fun. The way you like, hold your leg and yeah, do Yeah, and then you have like one hand and you, yeah, that'd be me. <laughs> okay, Jesse. I don't have one dance move. Just hands in the air. Yeah, I don't know. Shuffle? You get two shuffle? step? No, I don't know. I just feel like I'd just dance. Splits? Definitely. <laughs> I think yeah, I do like a. No. It's not really a dance move, but I'd maybe you inspired me, Jilly, just to do like a little DJ. <laughs> Put your hand over your head. Like, I don't know if that's not a dance move. <laughs> Imagine we're in this big circle at a wedding, and then you get in the middle, and you're just like. I think it would be like bring the energy up, please. That girl's got moves. Really important question, actually, from Anya. What's everyone's favourite cheese? Mine. I'm a hard cheese gal. So any you know, I love sort of like manchego, cheddar. Uh, I love, actually I'll tell you my favourite cheese. It's uh, sheep's cheese. I think it's from Spain and it's called Oso Arati. Oh yes, I've had that before. Delish. That's nice. Nutty. Very nutty. Really good. Mm. Well, I mean, I really, really like cheese. So <laughs> Listen, I've let got it quite be known. a lot the of record straight. for this. Um, I really like a camembert. 
I also really... Well, you like the stinky ones. <laughs> Camembert's not stinky. Camembert can be really stinky when it's been in the fridge for a little bit. Oh, I just eat it straight away when I get it from the shop. So. You'll sniff it next time. <laughs> so I'll just put it straight in the oven. Um, I really like burrata. Oh, yeah. Um, like proper good yeah. burrata is delicious. With some focaccia. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Um... Um, I've recently got into feta, been eating a lot of feta. Halloumi, big fan of halloums. Um, <laughs> just going through all the cheese. <laughs> like a lot of blue cheese. Um, but for me, it's not really like an actual cheese, but I'm just going to say it as my number one cheese adjacent thing the humble mozzarella stick. <laughs> wow. So we do deep, you could do deep fried as well. Oh, I love deep fried. That's deep, any deep fried cheese. That's my number one. Jilly. Right. Well, I feel very uneducated <laughs> when it comes to cheese because I'm a bit funny with cheese. Okay. <laughs> so I like cheddar cheese. Yeah. yeah. But I like it grated or I like it melted. I couldn't eat a slab of cheese. Wait, right. Jilly, about some of you buy pre grated cheese from the supermarket. No, sometimes I buy the block. Okay, good. But I grate it myself. Listen, pre grated all... cheese, you lose all the flavour. Right, can I say it's all price dependent because sometimes. <laughs> of course, it's jelly flirty we're talking you know about. I mean? no, We've got, got to look in when it says, you know, the P per 100 grams. Yeah. That's who? what you've got to be checking. <laughs> the P <laughs> per. The who? The, the price pens. per 100 grams. 100 grams. You know, at a supermarket. Yeah. That's how you can tell what's really the cheapest. Like, oh, you say you say pens. I always just thought it was price per 100 grams. <laughs> but... No, it's pens. Right, so. <laughs> You don't check that. No, I just look at what they say. Oh, no, Jill. You've got you get, a ride. Jill, you get mugged wow. off if you I'm do gonna that. I'm going to save more money now. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you go <laughs> below the main price, yeah. they'll put like 50p per 100 gram. Yeah. And so this is the way you can check depending on like the deals or the different sizes of the thing. Because sometimes the thing next to it might be more expensive. But it will say it's like 45p per 100 gram. You get more for more it. Money. So that's what you need to be checking. All right, this is like when I'll we go... talked about Big Tesco or Big Sainsbury's for like 10 minutes or one. Darrington <laughs> Sainsbury's, yeah, yeah I love that. that. Um, so no, so I'm, I'm a pretty bog standard. I like grated cheese. I like melted cheese. Yeah, but what type? Cheddar. Okay. Cheddar. Okay. Not, and not extra mature though because that's strong. That's so good. That stinks, mate. No, <laughs> I'm just like I'm mature. a mature cheddar kind of yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah, same. Or I like halloumi. Mm-hmm. But if I like, I mean, I can eat halloumi like, I can cut it on the board and then eat it, but I like it grilled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, not well done where it's like charcoal. But a bit but burnt. Yeah, I mm. like it crispy. Yeah, they're the only two. And mozzarella sticks. I'm not. That's I don't go outside those. What three. about parmesan? Mm, sometimes, but it just depends. If it's really strong and stinky, I can't. <laughs> like if it ruins my spag bowl, nah. <laughs> I have none of it. Nada. I feel. I love the way the longest answer we've had is the one about cheese. We're really getting into <laughs> the weeds here. Annie, I've got so much more to say about cheese, so I'll, yeah, I'll well, tell you more my secrets. We can take this offline for, <laughs> yeah. for the real cheese heads. Well, that was that was lovely, guys. I feel like I learned so much about you and your cheese preference. I just went on a journey. You can throw us a cheese party now, and you'll know exactly what cheeses to oh. have for me and Julie. I did once time get a really good present. My friend gave me like a voucher to this like local fancy cheese place and some and a cheese, giant cheese board. So I've got a special cheese board, like little knives. Wow, nice, it's really cool. And um, my brother's ex girlfriend actually got one of those for like our family with our names on it. Oh, she was really trying oh, hard, wasn't she? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jenny, where are you again this weekend? You're at Liverpool. Yeah, Liverpool Villa Big one. on Sunday, yeah. You're doing another run, aren't you, Jesse? I'm doing the Royal Parks half. I'm pacing my dad. We're going to try and get him under one hour, 55 minutes for a half marathon. Cute. So, 
hopefully that'll be done and starts at nine so plenty of time before watching City Chelsea it's going to be great um, yeah thanks for joining us thanks for everyone sending those questions and we'll of course be back on Monday reflecting on those games so we'll see you all then